Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be with you this morning. Although uh, <clears throat> I was a little uncertain if uh, I was going to be able to make it earlier this week. Um, it started out with, uh, with Ginger, you know, coming up with this cold or flu or whatever it is that we have. And, and I avoided her as much as I could, you know? <laughs> but apparently not enough. And uh, so we both have uh, been ill this week, and, uh, but um, anyway, I, I felt that uh, I was able to, to come and to share with you today, and, but I'm kind of like, uh, the, you know, biblical lepers that you kind of go about saying, unclean, unclean, you know, so <clears throat> uh, we've been avoiding shaking your hands because uh, we want to be your friends, right? <laughs> we, we don't want to uh, give you what we have. Um, well, I, I don't know if anybody was aware, um, but we had one of our NFL teams uh, win a Super Bowl. And uh, I, I'm sure uh, you, like uh, Ginger and I and so many others, uh, are so thrilled for our, our city and for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, honestly, I'm a big fan. And... Um, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm even one of those fans that this year, uh, I just spent a lot extra time just uh, watching the videos that they put out on their app and their website, and they have uh, what they call the franchise, and been watching that. And <clears throat> so, one of the things that intrigues me about football is how strategic it is, how team-oriented it is, how... Everybody has to, to work together and believe in one another and how they have to, you know, just keep going back to even the fundamentals. And um, that, that's important. And, and I think there's a, a lesson that, that we can actually learn from, uh, you know, the world of, of football, not just NFL, but just uh, in any team. And that is that it, it takes a high level of commitment if uh, you want to win, uh, if you want to win championships. And there's a lot of sacrifice and there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And, and um, you know, it, it, it always amazed me that uh, people would put so much time and energy and effort into a game, right? Because that's all it is, it's, it's a game. And it's enjoyable to watch, and you know, uh, obviously this week uh, we we saw that you know, I think they estimated maybe a million people or so coming out to the parade to celebrate the win, and just how much energy and excitement goes into a game. And then you compare that, I think sometimes to how we live out a Christian life, and I think, you know, maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're not embracing the victory that we have in Christ. The fact that he has made us overcomers with the same level of enthusiasm that we do for the teams that we watch. And I think, you know, to some degree is, you know, been around a little while and just kind of been around people and Christian life and so on and that um, 
I think our message as, as Christians, as evangelicals, hasn't been what it ought to be. And that is to, to help people understand really what the call of Christ is. I think for many years, uh, evangelical Christians have been kind of guilty of what we sometimes call easy believism. And it's kind of a, you know, ABC, admit, believe, confess, pray this prayer with me, and, and you're in, right? And, and we, we don't tell the full story. And, and I think that that's probably... Maybe one of the reasons why, when you look at a typical Southern Baptist uh, membership role, that um, usually there's about a third, if that much, of those on the membership role that are actually active in church. And, and you wonder, well, where are the other people? What happened to them? You know? And there's a lot of reason. We won't get into to all of that, but, but I think it is indicative of the fact that, that we don't help people to understand what actually Jesus said and calls us to. And so I want to focus this morning for a brief time on the call of Christ. And, and these are his words. Uh, and so we have to take them very serious, right? And so I'm in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 32 through 39. And the words would be there on the screen if you want to follow along in, or in your Bible. And I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard uh, Bible. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. Again, these are the words of Jesus. Therefore... Everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Do not assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Well, those are some pretty strong words, right? Um, and these are words that, that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to those who were following him. And he was wanting to help them to understand what it meant to embrace his call to follow. And I think those, those are words that we, we need to uh, embrace and understand and appreciate. Um, 
and, and to help us to count the cost. And we'll kind of share a little bit more about that here in just a moment. But to kind of put the story on rewind in terms of understanding the context of when Jesus spoke uh, these words, he had, of course, uh, began his ministry. He had called certain men to uh, follow him. And those men would change the world. Uh, he would uh, find uh, four of them uh, in their boats on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he would uh, go to Peter and Andrew, and he would say, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he would say the same thing to James and John as they were in the boat with their father, Zebedee. And he would say, come and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible makes it very clear that they left their father, Zebedee, and went and followed him. And they did. And as they did, he taught them through sermons and stories and ministry assignments, and they walked with him. And as they did, their faith grew, and their understanding of him grew. He demonstrated power over nature. He demonstrated power over disease and disability. He even demonstrated power over devils and demons. And they saw his passion, and they saw his compassion, and they witnessed his mercy, and they experienced his forgiveness and his love. And in chapter 10, Jesus summons his disciples together and he gives them authority over demons and diseases and sends them out to preach the good news to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so the whole of chapter 10 is Jesus telling his disciples what they were to accomplish and how they were to accomplish it and how they were to share his message and uh, how to handle those who received it and, and those who didn't. And they were to go and to preach that the kingdom of God has come near and they were to heal and cast out demons. And if people received their message, they, they were to say, stay there. And if they rejected, that they were to shake the dust off their feet and move on to another town, to those who are more receptive. And they would experience persecution. They'd be ridiculed and endured hardship. But the Spirit would be their helper and would give them words to say when they stood before the rulers. And then beginning in verse 32, Jesus clarifies for them what it means to be his followers. So there's four things I want to zero in on as we, we take a look at this particular passage. And the first is this, is that if we're going to be a follower of Christ, that we must confess him as Lord. To confess him as, as Lord. Notice he says that everyone who acknowledges, or in some other translations, confesses me before men, I will also acknowledge or confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus makes it clear. There is an acknowledgement, a confession that must precede him acknowledging us. And it's important that we understand what he's calling us to. A disciple is one who hears the gospel proclaimed and then responds by renouncing their sinful behavior and verbally, publicly confessing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as Jesus called the 12 men, it was Peter who would be first to confess that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus was pleased with that answer. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon those who make this confession, I will build my church. It helps us to understand that there's no such thing as a secret disciple. There's no such thing as having a private faith. Now, we've kind of been pushed by our culture to make our faith private. But it's never meant to be private. Personal, yeah, but not private. Uh, we, we must be bold to confess that we are followers of Christ. And it shapes who we are and how we think and how we behave. There's a, a confession. Paul would write in Romans, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For as with the, the heart one believes and is justified, and it is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. So Jesus is saying we must confess him before others. Simply put, there's no salvation unless there's a public confession of Jesus as being Lord. Now, there's a lot of people today who will say, I'm spiritual, I'm religious, but they never confess Jesus. Um, I, I remember earlier this year, the first part of the year, I came across an article just kind of scrolling through Facebook and those kind of things, and one of the things that I noticed was that uh, uh, somebody had posted that Brad Pitt had become a Christian. Uh, well, that's interesting. And so, you know, just kind of read and, you know, number one, you know, I'm a skeptic of, of these kind of things, right? So uh, my, my, my number one question is, is this really true? And then my second uh, question was, is the article accurate? Have they, are, are they accurately reporting what Brad Pitt has actually said and, and confessed? And... So as I just kind of, you know, was interested in, in, in digging a little bit deeper, then, then you know, what I discovered was that he is battling alcoholism, and he was trying to find a way to overcome, and it, which, you know, we applaud that. But this is his statement. He said, I felt myself coming back around to just believe in, he says, I hate to use the word spirituality, but just a belief that we're all connected. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I think we all would love for Brad Pitt to be a Christian. We'd love it. I, I would. You know, why not? <laughs> be awesome. But that statement alone doesn't convince me that that's really what's going on in his life. A, a sense that we're all connected some way that does not make anyone a Christian. It's those who confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. That is what brings about salvation. 
So, how do we do that? How, how, you know, how do we confess? How do we acknowledge the, the Lord? Well, you know, there's some just very practical ways. And, and I think that one of the ways that Jesus uh, requires of us, which we find in the Great Commission, is that we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that, that becomes a public expression of our faith and commitment in Jesus Christ. It's our first act of obedience. So that's why baptism is so important. You know, unfortunately, through the years, I've, I've seen people who have made a statement of faith in, in terms of expressing faith in Jesus, but they never follow through on baptism. Which may be, you know, kind of question, but why not? It's your first act of obedience. And second, we, we confess Jesus when we share our testimony with people that we know, with people that we are in, encountering each and every day, our, our family and our friends and our coworkers and fellow students and so forth, that, that they know that we are followers of Christ because it's just a natural part of, of who we are and, and our conversation. And, and we're not ashamed of, of Jesus and to bear his name. And thirdly, we, we confess uh, Jesus whenever, as we are instructed to do in 1 Peter 3.15, to always be ready to give a reason or a defense, an apologia of our, the hope that we have, and to do so with gentleness and respect. And as people begin to see our life and, and we bear witness of our faith in Jesus that, that we need to be prepared to share the reasons why we embrace this faith. And that, that, that's why we need to be familiar with Scripture and, and to understand and, and to give a good reason for the hope that we have. So let me ask you, just, you know, have you declared your faith in Jesus? Have you been baptized? Have you made that confession verbally? Are you sharing your faith? Do you share the gospel? The good news? Is there enough evidence in your life that you would be convicted as a Christian? It's a good question. So the first is confession. And the second thing that I want us to take a look at is that Jesus requires not only a confession, but a commitment. Now, these go hand in hand, and sometimes it's hard to separate, but I, I think we need to distinguish that. Jesus first tells his disciples that, that we need to acknowledge him, but then secondly, he requires our undivided allegiance, a complete commitment. Notice again, verses 34 through 37. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth, or to the earth. I, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter-in-law, or a daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And then in verse 37, he says, and whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that he needs to have supreme sovereignty over our life. That there's no other allegiance that is greater than our allegiance to him and him alone. 
And even if that means that we are rejected by those who we know and, and love, then Jesus says, that's the level of commitment I'm requiring here. And, and that's difficult. Now, for most of us, that's that, I'm, well, I can't speak for, for everybody, obviously, but uh, there may have been in your own life and testimony, family and friends that, that rejected you when you came to faith in Christ. Um, or at least it, it changed the nature of your relationship, and that was painful. But that is what Jesus is asking us to do, is that he must be supreme. He must be more than just prominent in our life, in, in the sense that he's important and, and we respect and love him and adore him. No, he's not saying that. He's saying preeminent. You must be preeminent in our life. It, it, it goes back to the, the, the Ten Commandments, right? That there shall be no other gods before us. There's no other allegiance that we have that is greater than that which we give to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter and James, or Peter and Andrew and James and John, they understood that. They understood that when Jesus came to them on that lake shore, called them to follow him, that he was asking them not just to, to go for a stroll. He wasn't asking them to just go for a, a men's retreat on a weekend. He was asking them to abandon their career and their family to follow him. That there would be nothing that would stand in their way of coming and following him. And they had to decide. Now that wasn't their first encounter with Jesus, by the way, but, but they still, they had to decide, is Jesus worth following? Could they trust him? Could they count on the fact that what Jesus was asking them to do was worth it? Could they give up everything that they had and leave certainty for uncertainty? To leave the safety of what they knew for something that could possibly not work out. Self-preservation for self-denunciation. But after witnessing what Jesus was able to do, they knew that it was worth it. And they gave their allegiance to follow him. Third thing that I want us to understand is that Jesus calls us to cross-bearing. Cross-bearing. That a true disciple surrenders their life in full obedience to Christ's mission. So as Peter and Andrew and James and John followed Jesus, and others would come along and follow him as well, and we know of the 12 apostles, and that he would make it more clear what level of commitment he was truly asking for. He would say in verses 38 and 9, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, do, do you hear the words of Jesus here? He's 
He's saying deny yourself, carry up your, 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 carry your cross, die to yourself, give up your self-made life, and surrender the direction and the authority um, or, and come under the authority of, of Jesus. And, and so to be a disciple then, we too must recognize and accept that, accept who Jesus is and, and to believe what he taught is, is true and absolute. And then we must place ourselves under his authority. And when we come to Jesus like, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, we come laying down our nets and our agenda and we surrender to his agenda. He leads and we follow. He directs and we submit. We position ourselves behind him and we obey his voice. And if we're unwilling, Jesus makes it clear. We cannot be his disciple. See, that's a lot different than ABC and pray this with me, right? A lot different. And then we look at some examples of of when Jesus um, was encountered by other people who were interested. But he would make very clear, again, the the cost of discipleship. And um, as we look at at Luke chapter 9, let me just share with you the the three men who came to Jesus. And um, it says, as they were walking along, this is Luke chapter 9, verse 57. You can just listen along. But he says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God... Uh, or son of man, has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, well, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And then you, you take a look at another example in Mark chapter 10, where there was this rich young ruler, right, who comes to Jesus. And he asked Jesus, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, Jesus could have said, well, here's a great prospect. Here's a person, he's a great candidate. He could be a part of my team. He's rich, he's young, he's got a lot going for him. And, and uh, let's just kind of carry him along and, and uh, see what happens. But, but somehow, you know, Jesus, um, he didn't take the course on how to draw the net in. <laughs> right? So... His answer instead was, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus always made it clear. There is a a cost. There is a commitment. There is a cross to bear. But it's worth it. It's worth it. You know, we, we all have those moments when we uh, encounter Jesus and 
we have to determine the relationship. Um, and that is that we have to define um, who he is and if we're willing to follow him and place him to be first. And that's not always an easy choice. And, and I remember just in my own life how the choice came about. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a country church. I mean, it was a rural church out in the middle of nowhere, uh, just a uh, little east of Salem, Missouri. If you don't know where that's at, it's kind of the south central part of, of the state here. And great church to, to grow up in. My dad uh, was a deacon there for 40 years, a Sunday school teacher for 40 years. And mom sang in the choir. My brother played the piano. I mean, it was really a family church and just a good place to, to learn about Jesus, which I did. And, <clears throat> you know, I reached that age where I began to be able to make choices of my own, right? And in later high school and early college days, you know, I, I rejected, I rebelled against how I was raised. And began to think that, you know, the world had something better to offer. And, you know, my, my testimony is not unique in that, is it? Maybe many of you could share very similar stories. But this is my story, you know. And, and so in, in college, I was rebelling against what I knew to be right. But I was too busy trying to fulfill my own pleasures, right? And so I remember being at a party, college party. And there was music blaring, and, and there was this one particular song that came on, and, and I began to listen to the words. And, you know, it's funny how God will arrest your attention <laughs> and, and what places he doesn't, you know. I, I never imagined that God would show up at a college party, but he did. And he would use the most unlikely um, style of music and and rock man, it was a southern rock man. Uh, some of you are probably old enough to maybe be familiar with Molly Hatchet and their song, uh, Flirting with Disaster. Well, God used that. Uh, these were the words that I heard. So I'm traveling down the road and I'm flirting with disaster. I've got the pedal to the floor. My life is running faster. I'm out of money and out of hope. It looks like self-destruction. Well, how much more can we take of all of this corruption? We're flirting with disaster. Y'all know what I mean? And the way that we run our life, it makes no sense to me. I don't know about yourself or what you want to be. When we gamble with our time, we choose our destiny. Not bad for some, you know, southern rock poets. <laughs> But God stopped me in my tracks. When you gamble with your time, you choose your destiny. And it was just the Lord was just tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you're flirting with disaster, Gary. You know better, and you're gambling with your time. What will be your destiny? 
And that began a wrestling match with God, kind of like Jacob, you know. Just <laughs> but uh, in, in April of 1982, at, at a campus event, uh, Christian comedian Mike Warnke came and shared some of his jokes and then shared the gospel. And that was the day I bowed a knee and confessed Jesus as Lord. You say, I'd been wrestling. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And, and you, you know, if you've been there, you understand. But, you know, growing up in the church, you would have thought, I would have got it before then. But I didn't. But now it, it came upon me that it was worth it. That Jesus was worth following. He was better than anything that this world could offer me. And I made the choice to follow him. And I've never turned back. And I've never been disappointed. And, and if you've never made that choice, I, I pray that today, that God will convince you that he's worth it. He's, he's worth it. Which leads me to the final point, and that is count the cost. Jesus wants us to count the cost. He wants us to weigh the options. He's not afraid of you to count the cost. He's not afraid for you to weigh the options because he knows what he has to offer you. And it's so much better. Notice again verse 39. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus understood our, our human dilemma that, that we're looking for the best life possible. Somebody ought to write a book by that title. I don't know. But Jesus has a quite different answer than the book that's out there now. But, but here's what he's saying. He says that if you give up your life, if you surrender to his agenda, to his agenda you will find the life that you've always wanted the life that he can give. You'll find it. That he'll give us a life that is much better. Which is what we learned in the scripture reading earlier in Philippians, right? Where Paul declares that whatever gain I had counted a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul counted the cost and basically what he was saying, he says, everything that I worked for in life, everything that I was about in trying to create this life that was for me, he says, I'm chucking it all. It's no longer even valuable to me. Why? He says, because I have found something greater. And folks, that's the kind of message that we need to proclaim to the world. That life and faith in Jesus Christ is better than anything that the world has to offer. And I think sometimes they look at us and they may wonder. But when they look at Jesus they don't have to wonder. Because he is greater and better and more awesome than anything 
this world has to offer. So, as you consider the words of Christ, have you made that confession, Jesus is Lord, and did so knowing the commitment that he calls us to? And that you are willing to bear the cross, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow him. And you do so because you've counted the cost. And you know he's worth it. Are you ready to heed the call? Are you willing to surrender today? Are you willing to live a life totally submitted to the Savior, to the King? Are you willing to go where he leads? To live like he lived, to love what he loves, to serve who he would serve? Are you willing to seek what he seeks and join in the global mission of taking the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue? If so, then I invite you to come today. I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'll ask the musicians to come, and after we pray, then we'll sing a song. This is your opportunity to respond to the Lord Jesus, to his words, to his call on your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today. And as we have considered the words of Jesus, I know that many might find them to be difficult, hard, and wonder if it is worth it. But I pray today, Lord, that that through your word, that you would help anyone who needs to understand that you are greater and better and worth it. That you bring with you the promise of forgiveness, hope, and joy, and everlasting life. And there's no other or no thing that can provide that. Lord, you're worth it. And I pray there's anyone here today that needs to make that confession that today, the Lord, you would draw them to yourself. That they would come and make the confession that Jesus is Lord and be wonderfully saved. We ask this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus.